Welcome to episode 11 of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. This is going to be a very, very, very special episode. My friend Tim Hildebrandt, uh, of my friends, you're the one who's gone the most Hollywood. We are recording this and he is in uh, Hollywood, California. Do you still live in Burbank? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're still living in Burbank? Yeah, yeah and Burbank. I'm in, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan here. Love it. <laughs> yeah, Love it. and we're... Uh, you've introduced me to StreamYard, so mm-hmm. this is my first time using StreamYard for this episode, and I'm uh, I'm liking it so far. And see how this this turns out. So, uh, Tim, we've known each other since university, I think. Yeah, it's 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 been like a solid. I'm gonna say at least eighteen or at least eighteen years. Yeah, and, I, and we might be in the twenty-two. We might be even approaching twenty-three what, years. When yeah. was your fir- When was your first year in the department? I was right after high school. I was 18 and I'm uh, 40 now. So uh, I turned 41 in July. So that was 97. Now, oh, yeah. Yeah. Then we're going, we're like 20, a solid 22 years. And we've known uh, people probably before that, you know, we we have just different cross sections of people that we know in our lives. And I know Brandon's going to be doing a show with me here fairly soon on on sales. sales. I'm looking forward to that. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I hope is on that list. it is. It is. Good. Yeah. There were a couple of movies he wanted that I, I don't have a physical copy of and or, or also yeah. would have loved to include them in the show. So, and we know people through church and, and, yeah. and through the drama department. And, and I know there are things that you have to promote and plug, and this is the chance to do it. But things are getting really exciting for you out there in Hollywood, huh? Yeah. I would say I, what I tell people is I'm, <laughs> I'm swimming well in the shallow end of the pool. So I'm, I'm getting work and I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but I'm mostly working on small projects, non-union projects. They pay, um, you know, it's real acting work, but it's, but it's not like the big celebrity, you know, A-list TV shows or, or, um, theatrical release films. I'm, that's what I'm working towards, but I'm still sort of in that lower to middle, uh, strata, but I am working, which is nice. And I just actually booked a role on a film called Tomorrow that will shoot it, it, they could start shooting as soon as this fall if the COVID restrictions are lifted and uh, and filming permits are issued. But they're they're telling us that we might have to wait until early next year. But it's a great okay. film. It's a feature length film. Uh, it's a fantastic director named Kellen Gibb, who I just respect so much. I've 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 made a point of of contacting him and telling him that I wanted to work with him. A number of my friends have worked with him and and have nothing but good things to say. And I've seen his films and they're great. So. He contacted me and said, I might have a role in this one for you. And we did some auditions and uh, and it looks like it's going to work out. So that's that's uh, fantastic. So exciting. It's so exciting. Yeah. And you've yeah. had several short films do uh, quite well, which was the one that was in the festival. I think it was a movie you shot in Colorado, I believe. Is oh, that- yeah. Yeah, that was recent. That was recent. Yeah. Um, so that just came out uh, this year uh, in I think January was the re- the big release. Uh, and it's called Sleep Agent. So yeah, it's just a comedy. Yeah, I got yeah. to play the heavy, the bad guy, the heavy, which cool. I don't usually get to do, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. that's uh, that's streaming somewhere. I don't know where you can find it. I have no idea where you can find it. But I remember you talking about it when it was being filmed because I think you were mm-hmm. you were kind of working between you do the passion play every year. Yeah, uh, in, in Alberta, and I think you, it was kind of around the same time filming that. Yeah, I had uh, I had. A, 
I had originally turned the role in the film down because I had already signed my passion play contract or had already committed verbally to the passion play. And it was, it was heartbreaking. I was like, Oh, I hate to give this up, but it seemed like the right thing to do. And then they actually uh, made a counter offer and said, if, if you can come to us as soon as the passion play is over in late July, we can save your scenes until the end of the shoot. Uh, oh, it actually, cool. it actually schedule wise, it could actually work to do that. So then I was like, <laughs> fantastic. So I ended up getting to have my cake and eat it too, which was wonderful. That's, that's awesome. So it's nice to see, you, you know, I, I don't think I'm like uh, pumping your tires, but you are a really good person. You're a really nice person. <laughs> and so I like to see good things happen to good people, especially oh, thanks, when you take, that, you take that leap and take that risk and uh, move out there to, to, to LA. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very proud of you here. Uh, and for those who have watched a lot of television and happen to be listening to this podcast, uh, the Benjamin Moore uh, ads that have been playing a lot lately, you'll see Tim starring yeah, in those. I'm in there. Yeah, like a driving around the neighborhood, looking very uh, happy to be a Benjamin Moore painter. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, if you got to if you got to pitch paint, Benjamin Moore is the paint you want to pitch. And, and that great, was great product. <laughs> Did you just get paid for that? No, <laughs> I just thought I'd, but I thought I'd slip that in. <laughs> Of it, that's good and okay and then who's the director was it uh errol 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 yeah it's crazy the, uh, the isn't that commercial. isn't that nuts yeah I mean, so yeah, yeah, yeah. the thin blue line <laughs> and the fog of war and I mean, uh -huh. some of my favorite documentaries of all time academy award winner and there he is shooting a paint commercial uh, i yeah. drove around in a van with him all afternoon <laughs> it's like <laughs> what It'd be amazing we are kind of living in science fictiony times here, and so now we're we're gonna, we're gonna do an episode where we talk about six science fiction films. How did you feel about the the range of movies I've given given you here? Because there's you, some that are labeled as classics. Uh, there's you had a great a selection. Here, there's a movie in here which some consider the greatest movie of all time, and mm. a movie in here which is voted the worst movie of all yeah. time. So yeah, we'll, that's about. We'll see how they, if that's the actual truth. <laughs> That's about as broad a spectrum as you could handle inside of one genre, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility with science fiction. Um, mm. I've not always been a science fiction fan. Have you? Always. Yeah, always. I can remember, uh, well, I mean, I was four years old when Star Wars came out. And so my childhood, you know, those movies came out th throughout the course of my childhood when I was four, when I was seven, and when I was 10. So, I mean, my childhood was Star Wars. So that that that's just I mean that's it. I mean that's yeah. <laughs> when yeah. when you when your formative years are happening as Star Wars is happening for the first time that phenomenon it kind of sets your course for you. So I I've I've loved science fiction right since day 1. My my older brother and I would watch Star Trek the original series on Saturday mornings okay. when we were little kids. You know, I watched Space 1999. It scared the heck out of me. There were some episodes from Space 1999. I don't think people don't realize how scary that show was back in the day, but uh, that show scared the heck out of me, but I loved it. And and the big one is I can remember being really fixated on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I saw it as a little child. I don't know how I saw that movie as a little child. I think it must have come on TV, but I just remember mm -hmm. being fixated on it. And there were scenes that I remembered and from like when I was six or seven years old. And when I saw it again in in my my junior high years was the next time I saw it. And I remembered a bunch of scenes from when I was a little kid. And that movie has stayed with me all my life. It's still one of my favorite movies of all time. It, it's an amazing one. I think there was a thing that was going around Facebook, I don't know, if a year, year and a half ago, uh, 
putting up posters of your favorite movies and I was doing yeah. it and I think you were doing it. And, uh, yep, I remember that, uh, Lee, Lee Beckman, if you remember him and yep, of course, yeah, there were a whole, whole bunch of us doing that. And, uh, yeah, I remember close encounter. You had a really cool list. I mean, I, I really oh, admired thanks. your list. And uh, I remember seeing Close Encounters on there. So, and it works out. We do have a Spielberg film uh, in, mm-hmm. in this mix here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I kind of said I I grew up with Star Wars too. It was Star Wars and Star Trek, and I I like them both. I know they're supposed to choose a side, like Elvis and the Beatles, but I I haven't. Uh, I, you I can have them both. both. That's the beautiful thing. Both. I'm allowed to. You're gonna have them both. Still a free country, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I. Yeah, I think it's been a harder sell with certain types for me. And I, I, I guess what, and you'll probably see this as we start to review these films, I'm maybe a little bit more of an ideas or social criticism science fiction fan, perhaps okay. as opposed to an action movie science fiction fan. That makes sense. So uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see that kind of playing out with the movies that uh, have been selected. Okay. So the the six movies that we're going to review, Neil Bloomkamp's uh, Academy Award-nominated film, uh, District 9. And then we're going to look at an, an interesting one. Uh, with, uh, Doug, uh, Doug Lyman is the director of either Edge of Tomorrow or Live, Die, Repeat, depending yeah. on when you discover this movie. It's uh, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. We actually yeah. have a couple Tom Cruise science fiction movies. So those are yeah, I found Tom that Cruise. interesting. We got two yeah. of them. I for whatever reason there's a Tom Cruise movie in the show with Brandon. I I I was just looking at uh, at another one for uh, for a show that's coming up in the next few weeks too. That uh, well, the guy's done like doing, seven million seven million. He movies, has. So. He has. Yeah. And depending on who you talk to, either love him or hate him. So yeah. Oh, uh, we're going to uh, look at uh, the great Stanley Kubrick's 2001: A Space Odyssey, and then we're going to. Uh, Slide over to Plan 9 from Outer Space, the great opus by uh, Edward D. Wood Jr. Well, that's quite a that's quite a, a step from 2001 <laughs> to Plan 9. <laughs> and I let my I let my guests choose the order, so the, the, I, it didn't I occur to that. me when I was when I was no, mentioning the I order. Like it didn't occur to me that I was juxtaposing those two films. That's crazy. Then we're going to take a look at Steven Spielberg's version of War of the Worlds, which you could claim might be an allegory for terrorism because it was released shortly after 9-11. Yeah. And then we're going to end off with another classic by uh, directed by a, a Canadian named uh, James Cameron of Aliens. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks uh, so much for doing this. And let's uh, let's get into the reviewing. Nobody comes back late at night anymore. They have more security. The government noticed that they were moving into new areas. That's when things started to get out of hand. They don't belong here. They're spending so much money to keep them here when they could be spending it on other things. At least they're keeping them separate from us. A lot of bad things started to happen. They must just go. I don't know where they go. They must just go. We're at the breaking point. People are living in fear. Don't you just leave? How do your weapons work? 
I just want everyone watching this right now to learn from what has happened. So District 9, it was a, a 2009 film. It, it came out, in, I believe, in August of that year. And it actually garnered several Academy Award nominations. And it's a genre film, which is not, it's not typical that a genre film would do that. Yeah. I remember having absolute, I, I was kind of sick of the, of the special effects movies throughout that first decade of, of the 2000s. So I was kind of worn out. So I would see a lot of promotions for this movie and I really didn't expect much from it. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it, I was just absolutely blown away. It was way, way better than I expected. So what happens is violence ensues after an extraterrestrial race is forced to live in slum-like conditions in uh, South Africa. One of the aliens finds a kindred spirit in a government agent who has been exposed to their, bio to their biotechnology. That agent, of course, is the person in charge of moving these people out of their homes and into, into these slums or... You know, it's even said in their concentration camps. Right. It's no accident that this movie is is set in South Africa. This is definitely uh, an allegory for the apartheid. And I, yeah. I do like science fiction where it has that extra layer of, okay, this is about something that has happened historically, but we're having mm -hmm. aliens in there to sort of make a little bit of a, a point about some dark chapters in history. I've revisited the movie a, a few times. Uh, I did a, a show every time I managed to slip in Larry Parsons show rank and review just as a promotion in every every episode and I was on Larry's show uh, with Lee Beckman and we were talking about the best horror movies 30 best horror movies of uh, the first decade of, of this century and I, I put District 9 in there oh interesting I did yeah even though you know some people might say it's more science fiction than horror but there's some pretty there's a lot of body horror in this like mm. um, and I, I should mention spoilers folks we do have spoilers for each of these movies in here mm -hmm. something i failed to do in most introductions when with this show mm -hmm. but the this government agent gets exposed and strange things start happening to his body and it's it's really there's some horrifying scenes in here and it does earn its r rating i think very much oh so. yeah i would say yeah. so it's quite graphic but i have found with each viewing of this for some reason it feels like <laughs> diminishing returns that maybe because my expectations were so low mm. the first time i saw it I was like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, it, it best picture nomination. Great. You know, uh, this mm. is a science fiction movie about something. And maybe I, I've overpraised it over the years. I think uh, one of the reasons for that diminishing returns feeling is that the most revolutionary thing about this film was the visuals. Mm -hmm. it, it was it pioneered some really incredible special effects that are now becoming commonplace, but at the time were brand new. Like the way that they use that silver ball that you sometimes see in behind the scenes footage to gauge where the light is coming from, uh, mm -hmm. where your light sources are in an outdoor shoot, so that when they're layering on the effects in a computer generated uh, image they can layer on a light source they can so the light is accurately the light is accurately hitting and reflecting off the surfaces of the cgi creature and that is something that you don't see very much pre-District 9. And that makes a world of difference to the reality mm -hmm. of the image. I was one of those guys, I still am one of those guys, where I prefer the model the model type of special effect as yeah. opposed to a pure CGI special effect. It's mm -hmm. very rare people get the, the CGI right. Starship Troopers is actually an example that has held up well. It's a film where the CGI has actually held up. And mm -hmm. and for a film that gets takes a lot of... of flack for being silly and and trite the special effects in that movie were incredible and they actually hold up but but with very few exceptions cgi 
just tends to not look right. But then District 9 came along and that all changed. The ships up in the air looked absolutely real with the haze effect and the fog effects. And the creatures in the foreground of the movie, the CGI creatures, for the first time in my life, looked like they were actually there. Like they were actual physical creatures inhabiting the screen. And, uh, And I think for a lot of us watching that movie, we were blown away by their ability to do what George Lucas had failed to do. And what a lot of, Mm -hmm. what a lot of great directors had failed to do. And this young guy that none of us have ever heard of comes along and creates a special effect that is just significantly better than anything we'd ever seen before. Mm So, so I think those visual effects grabbed us and pulled us in and wowed us and, Mm -hmm. and, and, That's what gave everybody that huge first reaction. Years later, when some of those special effects techniques have become more common, I I, I had a like a, I was like an extra in Call of the Wild and they're Mm -hmm. using a CGI dog in that movie and they're using Neil Blomkamp's steel ball in that movie. Uh, I I was there, I watched them do it Mm -hmm. to to capture the light sources. And so that's become quite normal. So, So now that we're getting accustomed to that quality of special effect, when you go back and watch District 9, all that you're really looking for now is the quality of the story mm-hmm. and and the story is good i don't it's not an oscar caliber story it's mm-hmm. it's in it's very interesting and it's a, a it's, it's great that he used i agree with you it's always fascinating when somebody can take an entertaining movie and also make it about something important but once the wow effect of those special effects d- wears off and we become used to that i'm not sure that there's enough left in terms of the quality of the actual story to keep that movie as as high on the list or, or as like an Oscar contender that, that a lot of people were sort of saying when it first came out. To me, it always starts with writing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter how great your special effects are if the mm-hmm. writing isn't there. I mean, you can find, there, there, we know great actors who could pull something, you know, magical out of a bad screenplay. What I, I was in love with some of the visual stuff and it was, you know, the special effects I really enjoyed, but I also like the faux documentary quality, which has been yeah. used a lot now Mm -hmm. but i i'm not sure i was really thinking about the fact that okay we start off and throughout it's a it's a faux documentary but then it it moves away from that yeah it becomes a straight up narrative straight up narrative when that when it needs to tell the story of of this man and his metamorphosis into uh becoming one of these Mm. alien creatures and getting into all this politics with uh the nigerians who want to you know be able to to use these alien weapons for their own means and, right. and and all this other other stuff that happens that we would never be able to see short of a reenactment in a documentary. So right. that's maybe a touch inconsistent. And I don't mm-hmm. think I was clocking that when I first saw the movie. So I'm sounding a little bit hard on it, but I, I do think you're you're right. It was it was quite revolutionary. I think it had it came out the <clears> same <throat> year as Avatar, if I'm not mistaken, which was mm. that became the special effects movie of of that year but a few months before that yes the the influence of of district nine as you said is 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 still felt yeah absolutely and i don't want to make it sound like i'm disparaging the story i mean it's it's a great it's a great idea and there is kind of a dances with wolves thing happening where the guy becomes the very thing (laughs) he was originally hostile towards right and so that's that's always that's that's a beautiful that's a beautiful type of story anytime you can um Anytime a person is forced by circumstances to learn empathy for a person or a group that he originally showed contempt for, that's mm-hmm. a great, that's a great story. I love that. 
And and so I don't want to take away from that. I think it's a beautiful concept. And, and then he sort of took it into a bit of a horror direction. Um, Which I so liked. Yeah. I, I yeah. like that. I'm not sure every audience member would necessarily, mm-hmm. but I do think if you are watching a movie that's going to be about aliens, then you, you're probably okay with the direction it goes. I mean, at no point did it promote itself as a, a family movie or a children's movie right. or anything right. like that. Yeah. Uh, and it was um, good enough. It was because we're going to be talking about aliens later on. It was good yes. enough that people started throwing around Neil Blomkamp's name as the successor mm-hmm. to James Cameron and the rest to take over that franchise. And Peter did- Jackson produced the movie too, so he must have seen something and connected to it to put his his you know yeah. post Lord of the Rings name on on it there. And it's funny uh, something because Neil Blomkamp just seemed to come out of nowhere. Like yeah. I, I I wasn't familiar with him at all when this movie came out, but you know, Peter Jackson's backing him. And so it may, kind of makes mm-hmm. me want to go back and sort of reevaluate and go like, well, what was he doing before this? You know, that, that had such, that had so much money and such big names rooting for him. I mean, his follow-ups have not been anywhere close to as successful as district. No, they, so. they weren't as good. And, so, and, and I- honestly, uh, for a lot for some of them at least it was the writing the writing just wasn't mm-hmm. good the special mm-hmm. effects are out of this world but he the, but he needs to team up with a writer he needs to team yeah. up with a really good writer and bring his technical expertise to bear on a on a well-written film yeah. what do you think of the lead actor here Charlotte Copley. Charlotte, I think. Yeah, I think it's Charlotte. That, yeah, okay. All, every time I've seen this, I I viewed him, but it's maybe perhaps, maybe he's doing a good job. Maybe it's just my contempt for this character, and yeah. it, I'm supposed to have contempt for the character, but I, I just do not like this guy, and I think the movie wants me to feel sorry for him at the but end. you never do. <laughs> and I don't. I, I not, at no point, there's this super intelligent alien and and his son that we encounter i like them i'm mm-hmm. i care about their story but i could care less that this man is is kind of left behind to try to survive after this i i think it's mm-hmm. his own fault yeah that he he did this and he's and he's so frustrating for the first half an hour of the movie. He's, he's part of some really great scenes, like that scene where they're trying to uh, perform surgery on him so that so that they would have this like amazing alien weapon that they could use for warfare mm-hmm. is terrific. And I mean, I think he does a pretty good job of acting in that, but I, I just could not get behind this guy. Like, what did, what did you think of? He was not in any way a trained actor when he got that role. He He's like a comedy improv guy who had no acting experience. Uh, um, and so the difference, I, I talked before about Dances with Wolves, the difference between a movie like Dances with Wolves and this movie is kind of the acting. Like Kevin mm-hmm. Costner can is a good enough actor that he can play, you know, the dick who learns empathy. And I don't know if Charlto's got that in him. I mean, he's the movies that I've seen him in. I've only seen him in, I think, four movies. But in all four of those movies, he doesn't really have much of an arc. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, was it Elysium? Or what was the movie with Matt Damon? Yeah, it, which was, was a follow-up. That was before Chappie, right? I uh, think so, yeah. And so he played... Of- he played a sort of a gruff bad guy mercenary and he played him well, but there's no arc to that character. He's just mm-hmm, mean. Mm-hmm. He's just a mean yelling guy. Yeah. And then he played Chappie. And then what was the other one? Oh yeah. And then he played Murdoch in the A team. And oh, yeah, this, right. you know, it's kind of more of that kind of crazy, mm-hmm. huge energy, not unlike district nine. And so I've seen him play those roles and, and maybe he's done other stuff that I haven't seen. And, and I need to see that. I don't want to judge the guy, but, but I don't know of his 
level of acting ability lends itself to a true art. He he could perhaps be a, a good character actor and be in supporting roles, but to be the lead is maybe a little bit more problematic. But it's a bit of a stretch, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I I kind of feel that the effects and and the direction of this are the star of District Nine. So I know I we're sounding a little bit mixed. I I really do like District Nine. It's it's up against some pretty heavy hitters in this list. Yeah. So yeah. the points may reflect that a little bit, but I I also. You might be surprised. I like it perhaps more than than some other ones here too. Yep, so it's, it's me a little too. bit in the middle for it's, me. Yep, yeah, same, same with me. There's yeah. at least two movies that I liked less than this. Yeah. So, uh, good. so we aren't fighting yet. That's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> what I am about to tell you sounds crazy, but you have to listen to me. Your very lives depend on it. You see, this isn't the first time. Now, we've had this conversation. What day is it? Judgment Day. You just came in with the fresh recruits. The invasion will fail along with every soldier you are sending. We lose everything. Come find me when you wake up. You happened to me. You hijacked their power. I need your help. With what exactly? Winning the war. We can do this. Just come here every day and I'll train you. This is not no matter what I do, this is as far as you go. Why does it matter what happens to me? Edge of Tomorrow, or also known as Live, Die, Repeat. Again, I'm I'm not sure if it was just kind of a studio decision that Edge of Tomorrow wasn't uh, playing that well. I'll tell you, it's a bad and sign. Th- right out of the gate, it's a bad sign when a studio can't decide what it wants to call its movie no. after the movie's been made. Yikes. This happened That's... to Birds of Prey, too. Did you know that? Uh, the, oh, really? Yeah, the Harley, uh, the Harlequin, Harley Quinn movie. Um, Birds of Prey, they, they released Birds of Prey. It tanked at the box office, and they were mm-hmm. like, uh, we need to market this as a Harley Quinn movie because it's not working as a, as a group movie. And so they changed the name after it was released to Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. And, and <laughs> it's never a good sign when the studio no, is changing no. the name after the release when they when they're like let's name it this for these people and this for these people Mm -hmm. and when that starts happening you know somebody's in trouble some people who don't like tom cruise really enjoy this movie because you get to see tom cruise die over and over and over again (laughs) however 
for me, the sad part is then you have to watch Emily Blunt die over and over yeah. and over again. And, and she is so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. she really is one of the great actors of our generation. I don't know how, I mean, there must be something with the Academy that they don't like her at this point because there was a year where she could have had two nominations. She should have walked away with an Oscar for A Quiet Place a couple of years ago. And I, you saw it, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. That scene. That scene, I mean, I'll review it someday on this, but the scene where she has to give birth and oh. not make a sound. Yeah. So a soldier I, played, played by Tom Cruise is fighting aliens and has to relive the same day over and over again. The day restarts every time he dies. This starts to happen to him because he's a he's a pretty prominent soldier, but he develops... Uh, defies a direct order that's given right. to him and suddenly he wakes up in this situation and then he eventually discovers this this super soldier played by Emily Blunt who knows a lot more about what, what's happening to him. So this yeah. is kind of a alien science fiction groundhog day in some ways. Yeah. 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 Um, so I like the idea of the film. I thought it was an interesting premise. Um, Bill Paxton's mm. in it. I always love Bill Paxton. Yes. Um, yeah. He's great. We've already talked about three movies that he was in on this broadcast alone. Um, yeah. So, so he he's fantastic. I think so. Doug Lyman's the guy that directed this, and yeah. he's a, mostly a TV guy. Almost all of his credits on IMDb are TV mm-hmm. credits. But this is where so there's there's things about this movie that demonstrate for me the difference between a really good filmmaker and a mediocre filmmaker. Later on, we're going to talk about the movie Aliens, and without giving too much away, um, one of the pivotal scenes in the movie Aliens is where Ripley climbs into a huge mech mech robot. Mm-hmm. and uses it to fight the alien. Yeah. Now, when James Cameron filmed that sequence, he had all sorts of things built into that robot because those robots, the whole purpose of them is is to make it look like the robot is making the human body, is, is doing all the work for the human body, right? Mm-hmm. The purpose of those robots is to do all the work. So you just move a joystick and the arm goes up. So James Cameron actually had a gigantic bodybuilder, a huge power lifter, a man, mm-hmm. built into the back of Ripley's uh, <laughs> mech droid thing it was built out Mm -hmm. of really light materials and the arms were on wires so every time she lifted her her foot the guy who's literally a huge man who is hiding Mm -hmm. in the suit would lift his legs and he would do all the work for her and that gives that suit such a realistic feeling it Mm -hmm. really looks like it's a mechanical object that is literally doing all the work for her because they're using the laws of physics and somebody is doing all the work for her edge of tomorrow similar idea they have these big exoskeleton suits that give them all sorts of fancy running and jumping powers, but they were just suits that people had to wear and operate themselves. So so even though they made them out of lightweight materials, when you're watching the scenes where the soldiers all come running out of the vehicles yeah. and are running across, you're watching a bunch of human average human beings with average strength running, carrying the weight of these 30, 40, 50 pound suits, 90 yeah. pound suits, you know? Yeah. And I remember a number of times before I watched any behind the scenes footage, before I knew how they did the special effects for this particular movie, there were several scenes where I was like, it looks like Tom uh, Tom Cruise is kind of struggling under the weight of that suit, trying to make it look easy, but it's actually really heavy. And Emily Blunt, same thing. There were yeah. scenes where she's running in the suit and it looks like it's heavy and cumbersome and it's and she's doing all the work herself. And I remember thinking, this, this isn't really working. Like there were scenes where they were using cables and stuff to slide the suits around where it looks good. But those scenes where it's just actors who are very average people, they're not especially strong people. 
running under these 90 whatever pound suits, it, it looks labored. It doesn't look like the machinery is doing the work for them. It looks like they're just dragging along a prop. Yeah. And so you have a great director like James Cameron who is thinking about this stuff and who is creating special effects, working with his special effects team to, to overcome the obstacle of physics and, and incorporate physics into the reality of their props. And then you have a guy like Doug Lyman who just, who just doesn't go that far who just doesn't mm. doesn't do that work you know or, or or just isn't thinking that carefully and you end up with several scenes that look labored and cumbersome and where the props don't look like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and so for me that disrupts some of what this movie could have been that kind of uh, novice approach to special effects like i wonder if he's more comfortable with he was originally i think uh, his big break as a director was swingers um oh he did the, swingers i didn't yeah, know that yeah it was swingers let me, let me pull him and he also, I think he was the director. He was actually the, the first director for the Born Identity movie. Um, director or producer? He was a producer on that one, wasn't he? From, oh, he did uh, do Born Identity. I, I think he, he's fine as a director, but you're right. I mean, in comparison, we're going to be talking about Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg, and we're talking about James Cameron. Again, I always goes back to the screenplay for me and how interested I am. I mentioned that I'm I'm probably less interested in the science or the action-y part of science fiction, and, mm -hmm. and that's what's a lot of people will pay their money for that and i think mm -hmm. they would be happy in a way because you get into this quasi d-day type of beach scene and you've spent a lot of time with those battle scenes and it's loud and there's special effects and cgi everywhere and some audiences enjoy that i i was it kind of turned me off i think mm. uh, for the first act and partially into the second act when they were able to and it took a long time for tom cruise and emily blunt to get off of the beach uh i i started to to enjoy the movie a little bit more once mm -hmm. it settled down i i started to like the characters more one thing i i certainly could have done without i think is the suggestion that there's a love story there mm -hmm. at no point did i feel any sort of chemistry between the two in, in that way I saw them as being good at like battling aliens together and trying to solve this strange mystery that they find themselves in where they're having to keep reliving the same day over and over again. But you know, there, there's, there's this, sorry for those who care about this, but there's this big kiss that happens towards the end of the movie. I'm like, I didn't think they'd earned that particular moment. I, I didn't really care about that angle that much. I agree. So what did you think yeah. about the story idea? I, I like the idea. Of course, I feel like I've seen it before. I mean, I, I did see Groundhog Day. I mean, I've, I, I, I like the mission. I, I actually think video game fans would like it. It, it feels mm. like a video game. I agree. You, it really does. Yeah, you keep, yeah. you, you keep testing the level and then you die and then you start over again and try to figure it out and you get to the next level then you die then you have to go figure it out oh i know how to get past this and i go to the mm. next thing and it's getting to the mission where you take on the big boss they have this kind of team which i again it's pretty convoluted that he was able to convince this entire platoon who in the reality of things had known him for about five minutes to go and you know defy orders and go on basically the suicide mission to battle this entity yeah. which to, to solve a problem which is emily blunt's and tom cruise's problem only they they're right. the ones that keep reliving in the same day did, did you like 
Bill Paxton in this. I, 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 uh, I actually thought he was a little bit weak in this one. This is not yeah. my favorite, not my favorite performance of Bill Paxton's. Like an early um, Ermy type of character that he's attempting to play, but he feels a little bit soft for that. And yeah, I mean, I he's agree. this haircut, this the, character voice, but it's kind of a cartoon. Yeah, he, he just he seemed a little. I think soft is the perfect word for it. Yeah, like yeah. when you when you when you listen to the lines he's saying. They the the words are words that should be really rough mm-hmm. and and uh, you know tip of the spear you know like like when he's talking to his marines and stuff right mm-hmm. like sharp edge of the sword tip of the spear but he's just kind of like sharp edge of the sword tip of the spear and it's kind of like it's playing that it, southern it, accent for it, all yeah it, uh, it felt uh, like he put a little bit too much yeah. thought into the uh-huh. accent and not enough thought into the given circumstances of the moment you know what yeah. I mean I, I really thought I could follow back on that performance and i was pretty certain i would like emily blunt because i mean it's it's rare for me not to like emily blunt in something yeah, she is I great think this is kind of in between her big break with the devil wears prada but before we knew that like she is like really really a girl on the train and and, and some of these more like uh where she's been given a little bit more to do here i mean she's yeah. she's played a female action star, but she's certainly not, you know, she's not Ripley or something like that. Right. Um, Right. You know, maybe not fair to compare them, but you know, Christopher McQuarrie is a very good, uh, a very good writer. He was a co-screenwriter on this. He, he wrote the usual suspects. Uh, He has a relationship with Cruz. He's written a couple of the mission impossible movies as well. I, I, I don't know if he came in to clean up the screenplay or if, if he started with this idea and then it was kind of a studio by committee type of piece here, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit uneven. I, I don't hate it. I think I'm really in between on it. I think mm-hmm. there was enough good stuff for me in the second and most of the third act for me to give it a, a small recommendation. But again, I'm, I, if it's between this and district nine, I prefer district nine for sure. Yeah, I agree. Dave, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? No, no, no. I've wondered whether you might be having some second thoughts about the mission. How do you mean? Rumors about something being dug up on the moon. I never gave these stories much credence, but particularly in view of some of the other things that have happened, I find them difficult to put out of my mind. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What are you talking about, Hal? This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.
way back in uh, episode one, I reviewed Lolita. So I I, I, I was going for uh, some soft movies to start us off with, with the show. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, I mentioned that I, I really, really love Stanley Kubrick oh, as yeah. a filmmaker. He may have been a horrible person to work with. I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. That, and, that seems to be pretty, pretty broadly agreed upon. He's a perfectionist. Uh, he is a perfectionist. And either you're going to wonder and i think perhaps this might be more of a modern audience thing wonder why 2001 a space odyssey is considered a classic or you might see it as pretty close to perfection its biggest flaw is the fact that there were only two people whoever who were ever on mother earth that understand all the aspects of what this movie is about yeah. arthur c clark who wrote the novel and then co-wrote the screenplay and Stanley Kubrick. But for generations now, people have been trying to analyze this film. And I, I feel like we could probably have a four hour talk yeah. just about this movie alone. Yeah. So we, we won't yeah. do that, but we'll just know that I, I, I feel it has earned its place as a, as a classic. Absolutely agree. Of course. Yeah. Without, without this movie, there's no star Wars. There's no mm. star Trek, the motion picture. There's no close encounters of the third kind. All of those guys, got their special effects and their and their understanding of of modern science fiction from this movie it's everything this movie is everything i like when you go back to see star wars and i i really love a new hope for sure but sometimes you're watching that and a m part of it is probably because you can only get the special edition that george lucas lucas made sure that we couldn't see the the theatrical version which what a I think crime. you you and i fell in love with yeah uh, as kids but there 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 are some chinks in the armor of of Star Wars, mm -hmm. even the even the first trilogy. Even though I I love it, the effects in two thousand one space Space Odyssey could be happening today, and this was the late sixties. It's, it's just crazy. remarkable what crazy. he was able to achieve, and it's unbelievable. And it is a such a thought provoking movie. And then I'll tell you what I think it's about. Then you'll tell me what you think it's about, and then we'll. Uh, We'll see how we feel about it, but sure. So after discovering a mysterious artifact buried beneath the lunar surface, mankind sets off on a quest to find its origins and get help from an intelligent supercomputer named HAL 9000, which is one of the great movie characters of all time. And, um, and one of the greatest movie villains of all time. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and spoilers. I mean, this is, if you thought The Shining was scary, I mean, HAL is, is up there with Hannibal Lecter or, mm -hmm. you know, it, like name your your super villain from a horror yeah. movie this is another one that is science fiction but goes into the realms of horror it does a lot of different things so this thing that has been discovered is the monolith so people are paying their money and they're sitting down and getting their popcorn and they're ready for a science fiction movie and they they, they watch probably a 20 minute sequence uh of the dawn of man and we see all these yeah. apes interacting in this kind of <laughs> silent film so here's my theory because all of a sudden there's this monolith that shows up and you're like what <laughs> What is going on here? And the monolith seems to show up at the point when these these apes have discovered that they can they can kill and they can use the bones as weapons and they can yeah. use the violence against each other. Yeah. And then we flip through the future where literally are, flip through the future. Yes, the bone, flip the bone of the goes bone flying up in the air and it comes back and as it, a satellite yeah, or some type of spacecraft. I think it was the the aircraft that was traveling. Uh, the scientist to the moon to take a look at what's been discovered on the moon, which we later discover, spoilers, folks, is 
the same monolith and nobody can explain this and and and, and what's happening it's a very kind of top secret mission this time around I, I really enjoyed some people really don't care about anything that happens until we get to the hell section yeah. but I, I really enjoyed it I, I like the fact that these trips to the moon have these these stops which are very much parallel air travel of the 1960s if you look really closely <laughs> did you and I've never spotted this before and I've watched this movie several times they have a Howard Johnson's in, what's in, that? in there what's a Howard Johnson's so it was a hotel but it also had these restaurants but it was kind of like an airport hotel and the restaurants and they had that in the up. movie yeah and it's it's in there it's in the future but they have there's this little slogan really Howard Johnson's there I had no uh, idea. Sequence when the the scientist r- runs into those people and they have that that conversation and they're they're trying to. Uh, I remember that one yeah. guy tries to ask him, "Oh, what's what's going up? We haven't been able to contact anybody up there." And he's really and, evasive. And in yeah. the background is this, but I mean, there's some really cool stuff. I mean, that we we see which even a few years ago it's hard to believe, like the idea of a picture phone. Now mm. we have it and we take it for granted. That's in there. He he calls his. His daughter and has a conversation with his daughter. The daughter, I believe, is played by Stanley Kubrick's daughter. The, the only thing that maybe dates it a little bit is it's kind of the equivalent of a of a payphone, which we don't find very many payphones right. anymore. So, right. Uh, and Incredible. then incredible. Yeah, and then we go into there's kind of a third part and a fourth part, and th- they're just bits which are absolutely horrifying. If you can imagine, like the movie Alien, uh, not Aliens, but Alien has this slogan: "In space, they can't hear you scream." We have that uh, where the man is just yeah that literally comes from this movie. space and it's just a horrifying death Europe. for, for this one character so everything yeah. about the environment you live in is at the mercy of a computer system that suddenly decides you're a virus that, that suddenly decides you're holding it back and mm-hmm. everything about your environment becomes hostile it's it's mm-hmm. it's so brilliant and we that that's become a trope uh in it science is. fiction since but he did it first and it's so many things to talk about mm-hmm. with this movie first of all you look at the big science fiction movies before this came out, like Forbidden Planet, you know? Yes. Uh, that was, I think, one of the big ones in the 50s before this came out. The jump that this movie made from movies like <laughs> Forbidden Planet, where people step out of a spaceship with their baseball cap on, or a little <laughs> glass dome over their head that doesn't attach to anything, like just yeah. completely ridiculous, <laughs> unrealistic, you know, to this movie where everything is so scientific and so believable. Weightlessness. Like they yes. did weightlessness oh, so, brilliant. so well in this movie. Movie. And this is before like, the first moon landing. This is before anybody in yeah. North America had actually seen a physical person weightless. But yeah, in the movie, no, you see that that amazing. pen spinning. And it's like I don't know how they did that. If it was on wires or or wh- how they did it, but it just looks so real even now. And I, I mean, we see people jogging, and you know they're upside down. Like they they're the camera work is amazing, but the the sets are amazing because all all of that was was built. So it's all practical. Before, yeah, yeah. This is. Where I mean, as difficult as he was, and he was a perfectionist, everything was was figured out so well yeah. for every aspect of this movie. He he um, the only the only director that I can think of who even comes close to Kubrick in the way that he understands how to use a camera is Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan did some things mm-hmm. in uh, what was the movie where where they put people to sleep on purpose to go into different imaginary worlds? Yeah, Inception. Inception. Some of the yeah. stuff he did with can with his cameras in Inception kind of comes close, but. The way that Kubrick used camera placement and camera movement to create the illusions of 
zero gravity. It, it, it is astonishing. It is so brilliant. And you can only imagine what it would have been like for an audience. This is before Star Wars, before Close Encounters oh, yeah. of the Third Kind. Audiences who had only ever seen goofy movies like Forbidden Planet with Robbie the Robot. What mm -hmm. it would be like to be that audience sitting in a theater when all of this happens. Magic. You, it, it would be so magical. Like, I don't think there's anything we can compare it to these days. The leap was so big from what they were used to to what they were now seeing. It's like the stories of the very first movie audiences. There's that that famous... The train. The train. And people yeah. thought a train was coming through and they, they went running. Yeah, people dodged out of the way. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't 3D or anything. Yeah. Amazing. I want to speak to this monolith thing because I think this is yeah. just one of those brilliant things. Uh -huh. And and I know you're a guy who, who likes movies that are talking about more than just the superficial level of story. Since the dawn of time, mankind has been trying to understand the problem of evil. Where does evil come from? Where does it come from? Because when you look at a baby that's been born, it's impossible to believe that that baby is evil, you know? Mm -hmm. And yet, as we go through life, there is some kind of a corrupting influence on us that makes us do selfish things to the detriment of our neighbors. We all, it happens to all of us. Um, and some people more or less live above that. Some people live right on the line. Some people live a little below that line. And some people, you know, the Hitlers of the world do a nosedive way underneath. And so the question is, how, how did mankind learn that? Like, like nowadays, social scientists would say, well, evil is a product of society. Like if you, mm -hmm. if you're an evil person, it's because you learned it from your society or because mm -hmm. someone who was evil, someone was evil to you and, and taught you that behavior through learned experience. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how did evil enter the world? Mm -hmm. Like how, how did it enter the world? And, and different religions have different theological answers for that question. Stanley Kubrick's answer to that question is there was a life form that came to earth or, or some type of sentience malevolent sentience represented mm -hmm. by a black monolith that mm -hmm. came to earth and taught us how to kill each other. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what that opening thing is about. I think he's trying to explain not just the dawn of man, but the dawn of evil. Where did evil come from? And this is his storybook, you know, sort of presentation of his theory of where it came from. And so that monolith is at the start of the movie at the dawn of man mm -hmm. teaching the eight the neanderthals how to be evil and the monolith is in the, the very last scene of the movie having taught even a computer how to be evil or ha having mm -hmm. taught having taught mankind how to be evil all throughout history and it's mm -hmm. almost like it's almost like at the end of the movie the monolith is standing there saying i win you know mm -hmm. i have i have won all throughout your history and i'm still mm -hmm. here and i'm still winning um, that was i i don't know that i'm right about that i've never read that anywhere that's just just mm -hmm. my idea that comes to me because I, I have some theological training and I, I think that's one of the main themes of the movie and that's a theme that he explores a lot in a lot of his movies like Clockwork Orange yes. where does evil come from how do mm -hmm. these guys become so evil how do these guys become so dark and cold hearted where they do these awful things how does that happen how do you fix that like yeah. in Clockwork Orange you know society comes up with this crazy technology to try and burn the evil out of people right and so that seems to be something that Kubrick thinks about a lot what is evil yeah. where does it come come from how do we make it go away and and i think this was his first real exploration of that theme i 
I think he he had touched on it in Lolita and in Doctor Strange Love. Oh, yeah. yeah, I never um, saw Lolita. And like distrust of government and abuse of power, authority figures, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think he does he does look at sin in some ways in in a lot of his films. Mm. I I like that take. Well, I, I I mean this is the thing I'm always wrestling with, and sometimes I change my mind. This time around, I was I was taking the idea of of as more of a comment on the evils of technology. So the bones are technology for the Neanderthals and mm. then they use technology instead of for good they use it for the evil of of killing each other right mm. and then and then we have the evolution of of human beings and then we see the devolution which is when the technology being hal starts to be used to for destructive purposes and to kill mm. to kill people in the society and that's when mm. the devolution happens for it happened for the Neanderthals now it's happened for for human beings and then the next level is the very last image of the film. We we, we see this uh, the star baby, and that's that's the next mm-hmm. step beyond human beings. Was mm-hmm. was a little bit my take uh, yeah. on that. I'm but still not 100 percent sure what the star baby was, but yeah, unless the star baby is the monolith and is not not the next step and is actually like looking down and this floating baby is the evil but there is a sequence in here which people just say that you know Kubrick and Clark were just doing way too many psychedelic drugs at the time (laughs) where you're just seeing this amazing for the time light show happen for I don't know 15 minutes it's Mm -hmm. absolutely unreal Steve Jobs took that and used that for some of the original um, screensavers for for Macintosh computers Computers. Some people really, really hate that sequence. I, I kind of like it <laughs> yeah. and because I'm constantly wanting to think and trying to figure out the movie. And yeah. maybe maybe they're messing with us and there's nothing to figure out. I'm a, I'm also a fan of David Lynch and there's that mm. element of his films too, where I may never figure it out, but I just enjoy the ride and I like the mystery is fun. So yeah. I, I think we both like 2001, maybe very much. Like. I got to put a plug in for a couple things. Uh, first of sure. all, Gary Lock. So the two main guys are Gary Lockwood. And I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, Kier Dulia, right? Kier Dulia. Yeah. So Gary Lockwood uh, was in the pilot episode of Star Trek. Oh, really? Okay. Gary Lockwood was that was that guy who thinks he's a god. Who who he's like a crew member who gets hit with this energy and grows into like a deity. And Kirk has to kill him. Oh, in the, that's right. Yeah. In the he has the glowing eyes. Yes. So he yes. that's Gary Lockwood. That's the same actor. But here's an even better thing. So Kier Dulia, who plays mm-hmm. the main character in 2001, after 2001 he moved to England, started bouncing around uh did a lot of work in theater and then he came back to film and tv to do what series star lost which is a canadian science fiction nice. series from the nice. 1970s that's Kier. that that guy oh, cool. with the mustache is Kier dulia it's the same dude and and i think that is a much underappreciated television series i think the premise of that series is so mm-hmm. big it's so big concept. It's so brilliant, but the special effects were terrible and nobody liked it. But th- his acting was great. Oh, yeah. um, I think someday that series will have a rebirth, I think. Oh, hopefully. Uh, Star, with... Star Lost. But yeah, yeah I keep hoping the... these movies and TV shows start to get a, li- a life through the streaming or the digital means. Like, hopefully we can we can get some of those back. I, I think yeah. sometimes the acting gets a little bit of a short shrift in 2001 oh. Space Odyssey. It's not easy to act off of a, a voice. And I think I, the I mean, acting is fantastic yeah and like i can't imagine it's hard for me to imagine people giving them a hard time because that, like, I, I don't think anybody gave them a hard time but people again this is not unlike district nine where we aren't we weren't spending a lot of time talking about the amazing 
acting in it. We we mm. talk about this brilliant director's vision. Yeah, the the director and the special effects become kind of the star of the movie. But yeah, I think it it also has ideas. You might agree with me. You might agree with me though that modern audiences, 2020 audiences, the pace of 2001: Space Odyssey might be tough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I agree it's with you 100. And yeah. and like, don't even get me started on Solaris. I mean, the original Solaris mm-hmm. is a slow, <laughs> plodding, oh, brooding, yeah. you know. But it's brilliant. And I even have the, in my collection. Even the yeah. pace of that movie is mm-hmm. just speaks to the vastness of space. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's brilliant filmmaking. But yeah, you're right, man. A, a modern person who who goes to see the Avengers or mm-hmm. or you know Wakanda, uh, somebody who goes to see these kind of movies is going to be bored watching a movie like 2001 because mm-hmm. it takes its time. Unfortunately, but, uh, the, they'll like live die repeat more because there's more action and action yeah. right away. Unfortunately, but That's yeah, I, I like I like my science fiction kind of cold like that, especially the space mm-hmm. movies, really really cold and with silences and that really build up to those those key moments. Yeah, and like, when they like, hit, they are good. I mean, it, they it, is, it is worth the wait. You know, I that time that he takes isn't for nothing. You know, it's it's no. it's that time is well spent developing character developing context establishing uh, time and space i mean it's brilliant filmmaking big fan of 2001 the space odyssey it is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this theater will not be born on earth come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electrode gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it, it's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. So I, we've just talked about one of the greatest movies uh, in the history of film. It could be argued 2001 A Space Odyssey. It often ends up in the top two or three for sure. And when they did a poll many, many years ago, they said the worst movie of all time was a movie called Plan 9 from Outer Space. And the worst director of all time was a gentleman named Edward D. Wood Jr. How I came to watch this, I actually have a collection of Ed Wood movies. This is not the only one I, I have, is through the Tim 
Burden film, Ed Wood, which right. obviously is a significant, I'll be reviewing it fairly, fairly soon in an episode on black and white films with my friend Tom. And it was interesting just to watch Plan, or Plan 9 from Outer Space and Ed Wood kind of around the same time here mm-hmm. during this COVID uh, isolation period. And I, I think it's maybe a bit unfair to call Plan 9 from Outer Space the worst movie of all time. I think where it has a problem is they were not playing it big for laughs, even though it is a B movie. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, everybody involved with this thought they were making a Citizen Kane type of a film, and they simply were not. But <laughs> evil aliens attack Earth, and they set their terrible plan nine into action because I guess the first eight plans didn't work. Yeah, and then the aliens resurrect the dead of the Earth, and the, the lives of the living are in danger. And we get quite a cast of characters here. The most prominent actor in it uh, is a gentleman named Bella Lugosi, who uh, yeah. was famous in Universal Monster movies for playing Dracula. And Frankenstein and, and the Wolfman. He played them all. But, yeah, he, uh, was, he, he was he in the sequel. He was in, he was in, in the lesser-known sequels. Yeah, lots of lesser-known sequels. But he was the and, original Dracula. Uh, those were better days for him. And he'd actually... He, he had died before this movie was made. And if my information is correct, I mean, Ed Wood be developed, developed this friendship with Bella Lugosi late in his life, and he decided to just to cheer up Bella. He did this random, randomly filmed him in front of his house, you know, picking a flower or something like that. And then Bella Lugosi died, and he tried to raise money for this movie, which was Grave Robbers from Outer Space. It was the original title. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, it's a new science fiction movie starring Bella Lugosi. And people are like, didn't Bella Lugosi die? Well, yeah, but we're working around it. And he found somebody who he thought looked a little bit like Bella Lugosi for some scenes where he ra- he rises up from, from the dead. Really? I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. And so you'll notice, watch it again. I don't know if you'll have the time to watch it again in your life, but they, they have the, he, he's kind of playing Dracula here for some reason. I don't know why, but he has this vampire cape and he's keeping it over his face because this man only from like the, maybe the nose up looked like Bella Lugosi. Lugosi, he was much younger than Bella Lugosi. So he walks around each scene like that. And I'm doing it on camera here, even though this mm-hmm. will be an, an audio uh, version. But And yeah, there, there's all kinds of, of issues here. We we see Tor Johnson, who was a little bit of a, a B-movie character uh, for That's a while. That's the big fella, right? That's the, the big, big guy? fella, yeah. He's the a George police Animal officer. Guy? Yeah, we can't yeah. understand a word he says when he speaks. But he when, when he r- rises from, from the grave, there's a little bit of trouble getting out of it. And he's knocking over a few headstones here and there. And on a regular basis, you'll just see that they're cardboard headstones and, yeah. and that. It's amazing how much George the Animal Steel looked like that guy, hey? In the movie, yeah, Ed Wood. Actually, it's yeah. unbelievable. When, when, like, when you start like to compare identical. it, yeah. So I, I, I maybe am giving this more of a pass than I should because I, I laugh, I have fun, I am entertained by it, even if that wasn't the intention of the filmmakers. I have to appreciate a man who wanted to create and did everything he possibly could and then some with this group of friends who made this apparently they start off making this kind of theater that nobody would watch and he had this interest in science fiction and or in, in aliens and, and different creatures and all of this stuff and and he just raised the money to make these movies and I just appreciate the independent spirit I mean he was truly an independent filmmaker and the product maybe isn't that great but I, I'm happy to to support that and so maybe I'm a a bit more forgiving on plan nine from outer space if i view it 
not under the same lens as Aliens or we're going to talk yeah. about War of the Worlds pretty shortly here. Mm-hmm. My expectations of Steven Spielberg doing a science fiction film starring Tom Cruise have to be with a, a studio budget have to be different than my yeah. expectations for what this man tried to do. You know? So I find it really heartwarming that you're coming to the defense of this movie. I think that's charming. <laughs> No, you're going to completely disagree. Nonetheless, this will be our first our first major disagreement of the podcast. This movie was awful. Now, I I I was actually looking forward to seeing it because I've I never seen you. I've never seen one of Ed Wood's actual movies. Yeah. I've seen movies about Ed Wood's movies mm-hmm. and I've heard about them and and so I was actually looking forward to it. I was like, well, I know it's going to be campy. I know it's low rated. I know people have said it's the worst movie of all time, but at least I finally get to see what all the drama is about. You know, and I was kind of expecting to have an experience like when I watched The Room. Remember The Room? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. So because the movie is so bad that you actually enjoy watching it on kind of a silly giggle level. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It failed even at that. Really? For me, it failed to even be that. It wasn't even so bad that it was good. It was just bad. It was just mm-hmm. I, I I found it so hard. To, I have to admit there were actually sections that I actually fast forwarded and skipped because I oh, just really? got the, yeah, I just got to the point where I was like, there is nothing happening. These scenes are like 15 minutes long. The 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 uh, alien spaceship is just a curtain backdrop. Yes, I love it. That. It's it's it, 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 I, I was even going into it knowing it was the worst movie ever made. I was completely disappointed. <laughs> wow, is, and I didn't even I didn't I didn't even enjoy it on the level of laughing at it. It was really? it was oh, uh, it was so bad that I was just I, I, like I, I I was hoping that you would uh, see it as kind of campy and fun, but well, know. it is absolutely campy. There's no question yeah. about that, but the fun piece is questionable because it tries to take itself seriously, and and usually that would be what makes it funny, right? Because that's that's what's always. I mean, Will Will Ferrell made a career out of playing people who took themselves too seriously when they yes. were fundamentally incompetent, yeah. and so there's there is a there that is a really legit uh, brand of humor. For whatever reason, I just man, so I watched this movie, like, and I kept you didn't like the flying saucers with the strings there and the stock footage of people like. <laughs> The In saddest, Los Angeles running, the running saddest the other thing direction. of all is that a grown man made this movie. That's the saddest thing. It's like a grown man made this movie. Children could make a better movie. Steven Spielberg made better movies when he was a prepubescent boy. I'm sorry, man. Uh, this was just it was just a complete disappointment on every level another fun one was uh the uh, um vampira who i guess later elvira stole her act or whatever. yeah totally there's <laughs> no character at all she's just wandering around with her arms up i, I actually thought she was did, gave one of the better performances in the movie um <laughs> she probably did to be honest yeah yeah and at, at least she looked horrifying i mean but it's like she, what is she, right is she a vampire is she a witch is she yeah, like, yeah what, they, what? They, they all like, they all are vampires i think for some reason even though they're supposed to be zombies apparently um yeah ghouls i I was trying to sort of find some some nice things to say here other than the fact that i i'm kind of entertained by Mm -hmm. trying to think like there's the people who are bad and the people the the character who plays the colonel colonel edwards tom Keane. i don't think he's too bad you know Mm. i I think he was uh he was actually trying to deliver some sort of a performance that was somewhat psychologically based but where Mm. where i where i agree with you because I, I I know I'm gonna get like people like I just recently did a a podcast where I also talked about mm. my nostalgic memories of watching the Tommy Knockers, which a lot of people also think is one of the worst <laughs> things ever made. So, but uh. I. 
I do recognize that. I recognize that big time in the in the scenes where we have the aliens and there's this battle with the mortals and they're in like this warehouse or or something and uh, which they've tried to set up as like some sort of a strange room in the the graveyard and people are just standing there with nothing to do for long periods of time until we get into some really badly choreographed fight scenes and um, the scenes in this movie are so long. How can you have a scene where two people are talking and not making uh, talking about nothing for 15 minutes and it's not like it's not like funny talking about nothing like Seinfeld it's just not talking about nothing there's and and it's not even it's not even entertaining in a bad way it's just it's just unwatchable and I mean like hate to blame but yeah lots of people just simply couldn't act <laughs> I mean, clearly basic, basic line delivery was not was not there yeah and, yeah I mean probably Legosi from from the grave gave one of the better performances in it too so so <laughs> When I, Bella Lugosi is your best actor, you have problems. You have real problems, alive or dead. Oh, if Bella Lugosi is your best actor, just shut down Tor, production and go home. Tor Johnson's interesting looking. At least he, like, he we, is. you have some of the people who are interesting looking on film, I guess. So yeah. I, I I understand it. I, it's a very, very small group of people that I would recommend this to. This feels like a little bit to me like uh, something that you would put on, on Mystery Science Theater 3000 or something. And mm -hmm. you get a more enjoyment out of hearing the comments of, yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, and that's maybe more the attitude I had with this. I, yeah, I, I, I've tried. I haven't gone through the whole Ed Wood collection that I have. I tried to watch another one, and believe it or not, like it is way less watchable than this. Like this oh is probably gosh. this may be his best film, even though it is voted the worst movie of all time. So tragic. Yeah. I don't. I don't think there's much more that we want to say about Planet. Let's, move, let's move on. Eight thirty. We said eight o'clock. Get a hug. Robbie's got a paper, which he's yet to begin. I just gotta type it up. You just gotta start writing it first. Take care of our kids. You got nothing to worry about. That is so weird. The wind is blowing toward the storm. It's okay. Lightning doesn't strike twice. Robbie, you saw the lightning? Yeah, 26 times on Lincoln Avenue. You feel that? This is not a war. This is an extermination. 
to see War of the Worlds back in the summer of 2005. Reasons I was excited to see this movie. One was, again, I've, I've been a hard sell on science fiction, but uh, Minority Report, which I'll review at some other time, I think is is one of a modern classic as far as science fiction. Mm. I absolutely loved it. And the pairing of Spielberg and Cruz felt like gold. So I was excited mm. to see that they were following up with yet another science fiction film. I also love War of the Worlds, in particular, the, the radio play version that Orson Welles did, which caused all kinds of panic throughout the United States. I still never heard that. Yeah. You, you haven't heard? Oh, you should. You I know, know. I need I mean, to. It's classic. It's an example of sometimes we accuse, you know, people of not being great listeners in this modern time. They lay out that it's a radio play and what it is from the beginning, but it, I guess people who tuned in late or whatever, they actually thought an alien invasion was happening while this that. was being yeah. broadcast. And it's, it's, it's legendary. And I love that. I, I I've used it as a teacher for, uh, for science fiction, uh, unit um, mm. and 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 had students do radio plays after listening to it and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, I, I I love that particular vi version. Therefore, I love the story of War of the Worlds. So I was pretty pumped to see this movie, and I remember absolutely hating it. Just yeah. thoroughly worst movie of the year. Uh, I had mentioned like by the end of this decade that we're talking about where these movies came out, I was so sick of special effects movies. So I was going in with a negative attitude about District 9. This was one of the movies that was the reason for that. I, I just thought it was loud and annoying and Spielberg was using these colorful lights, which he had done much more effectively in Close Encounters of the Third Kind with I think probably less of a budget than than this one. Oh, certainly. And less of a budget. and we have like this machinery instead of the aliens, which kind of loud and transformery, transformer-ish. Which I'm not a fan of that particular series of movies either. Mm. And we just have Tom Cruise running around giving a Tom Cruise as himself type of performance. Not much of a performance. Mm -hmm. Didn't like him in it. I was very, I was annoyed by Dakota Fanning. So if you think that Drew Barrymore's scream in E.T. was annoying, multiply that by, I was trying to keep track of how many times in this viewing she lets out that piercing scream. You know, in some cases it makes sense, but if you start going to that well over and over again, and I just have this memory, I think it was less than, maybe it was exaggerated from seeing it in the theaters, of one shot after another that Spielberg was using of Dakota Fanning looking up into the sky and various lights hitting her face. And then this is supposed to be this beautiful shot that we're supposed to be in love with. We go on this journey with broody teenage son who isn't happy because, you know, it's a family of divorce or whatever. And, and Cruz isn't it is established as not a very good father, an original idea in a Hollywood film. Uh, right. <laughs> and then, and then uh, all these circumstances happen and Dakota Fanning and Tom Cruise come across Tim Robbins. I'm like, okay, thank God Tim Robbins is in here. This is, you know, in the range where mystic river was happening and people were starting to go, yeah, Tim Robbins is as good as he was advertised in the nineties. Tim Robbins is god awful like he's he's not he, good in this movie yeah. he just exaggerates his new english accent well beyond into the caricature land and it's a lot of and, this a lot of this kind yeah, of acting I, I wish you could see the uh facial expression that tim's doing right now that's exactly oh it. <laughs> that's it right this so, is a video. yeah 
Yeah, it is a video, but it is so it is such an over the top performance. Mm. And I just got exhausted with it. And then at the, at the very end, we finally get the Spielberg sentimental touch with the big music playing and the spoilers, folks, kind of happy reunion after this long journey for reasons that I cannot explain. A reunion with his son who gets mad at his father and runs off to battle the aliens because suddenly decides he wants to be a military person or whatever. So there's there's all of this stuff. So I had a real hate on for this movie and <laughs> I kind of had that hate on coming in and I watching it this time, I've softened a little bit. Like I've actually felt that this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, like way worse than Plan 9 from Outer Space. I softened a little bit. I got a little bit adjusted to some things. I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of this thing still. Uh, and it was a really disappointing follow-up after Minority Report. But perhaps my expectations were too high for this going in and my expectations were too low for district nine going in. And then you revisit it years later and you kind of see things. So it looks good. Uh, I think if you, if you turn the volume off and you don't listen to some of the things that they're doing, you could probably get the story and it's fine. Decent enough special effects. I have CGI'd out by this point. So I would rather see practical effects, but I, I know I that they weren't going to do that uh, anymore. So anyway, I'm going on for a long time about this. So I, it's a negative review for me, but I'm questioning whether my my 2005 hatred for War of the Worlds mm -hmm. was justified or not. So I, I uh, am very similar to you on several counts. I also hated the movie when it first came out. So yeah. going back even further, when I was a young boy like a very young boy, my mom bought us a collection of 50 graphic novels of, of some of the greatest classics ever written. So there was War of the Worlds, there was Frankenstein, there was Last of the Mohicans, there was the House of Seven Gables, there was the Turn of the Screw, there was like 50 of uh, Moby Dick, you know, 50 of the greatest novels ever written in condensed graphic novel form. And mom, I don't know where she found this collection, but she bought them for me and my brother Rob. And we read every one of those and we just fell in love with them. We absolutely loved them. So that was when I was a little, little kid. And one of the ones I liked the most was War of the Worlds. And I mean, there was everything in there. There was like like uh, Huckleberry Finn and there was Tom mm -hmm. Sawyer. And there was such a broad range of different types of novels in this collection. War of the Worlds was the one more than any other that really grabbed me. And uh, so much so that not too many years later, I found the actual uh, the written version in my school library. And as a young child, I read it. And it was the first, if I recall correctly, it was the first actual book that I read as a young, as a boy. Wow. I mean, I had read before. I read, mm -hmm. you know, children's books and, and read, mm -hmm. you know, children's novels and, you know, and Gordon Corman, that kind of stuff. But this was the first time I actually tried to read a classic novel myself as a, as a child in elementary school. And so this book has very special meaning for me. And similar to you, when I watched the movie, I was disappointed. There was a lot of things about it that I that kind of felt like they let me down a little bit. There were some things that were lost, I think, in the modern retelling of it. Like you, I think Tim Robbins was terrible in this movie. And I never say that about Tim Robbins. I just never I know. say that. He's a great him. actor. And I tend to think that... You know, and I, I, I don't like to, and I, I don't worship Spielberg as much as some people do, but mm. he, he I, I agree that he's earned his right to be like considered one of the great filmmakers of all time. But if a consistently 
strong actor like Tim Robbins is given a performance like that, I, I sometimes maybe unfairly so, but I do somewhat blame the director. Yeah. So in they they really expand that role for the movie from what it was in the mm -hmm. book in some ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, um, it, it's a it's a, a re it's a bit part. And I think partly that is because you can't ask an actor like Tim Robbins to take a role and then only give him six lines. You know, they, mm -hmm. they had to expand it, but they shouldn't have. He, Tim Robbins should have no. been on the cutting room floor of this movie um, because he is not or, good. And that scene is way too long. Or hire another actor. I mean, there's lots yeah. of people out there that could use work and Tim Robbins could then work on some other project and, yeah. you know, and then, and then, and then cut it down. To, um, you know, a smaller, yeah, I think they, they linger way too long in that particular section, but the CGI yeah. in that scene, like, like, so when, when the, the sort of the long retracting mechanical eye leaves and the actual creatures come in, the creatures look fake. They don't look, it's terrible CGI. It's not yeah, good. Yeah. It should have been practical effects. Like one of the things about the book is I just got mixed up in my head. It's H.G. Wells, yeah. H.G. Wells, yeah. Um, you know, he was a scientific fella. And so he mm -hmm. talked, and so he 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 works in the fact that the Martians are accustomed to a different type of gravity. And when they actually emerge from their giant robotic machines, they're actually very slow and sluggish and labored because their bodies are not accustomed to the gravity of Earth. And that was just one of those little touches that made that book so interesting to read. What was cutting edge science at the time, you know? How come How come a book written in the 1800s gets that aspect of the science correct and a movie made 10 years ago or fi four, uh, 14 F years ago, 15, 15, years, 15, ago, 15 years ago, gets it completely wrong. Those creatures come yeah. out of their spaceships and they're just nimble and agile and they're crawling around on their four legs like like little primates you know just scampering around and climbing up things and it's like that makes no sense that makes no sense that a creature accustomed to the gravity of mars would have that kind of fluidity of movement on our planet yes so just yeah. lots of things like that that was just like what are you doing having said that and having agreed with you about my mm -hmm. fundamental disappointment with the movie Mm -hmm. I had the same experience as you when I watched in preparation for this podcast. I enjoyed it more the second time. I I enjoyed the special effects more. I enjoyed the storytelling more. I enjoyed Tom Cruise more the second time. I still thought Tim Robbins was awful. I still thought a lot of the CGI was terrible. I still, I, to this day, I've never seen a movie version of War of the Worlds set in the actual time period of the book. And I would mm -hmm. love to see that. I'm a huge Spielberg fan, like everybody mm -hmm. else, or like like a lot of people. One of the things that I do like about this movie, and that I like a, about a lot of his uh, more recent movies, is I like I think I've seen every movie that Spielberg's ever made, and it's fascinating to see ideas that he explored in embryonic form in his early movies when he was a young man, mm -hmm. yeah, being explored in much larger, more technological ways in his later movies. I find that fascinating. And this is a movie where he does that. So in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you may recall the huge end scene where the mothership arrives. Mm -hmm. The mothership doesn't come down out of the clouds. The mothership rises out of, seemingly That's out right. of the earth from behind Devil's, Devil's Tower. And mm -hmm. that, was a, that was a choice that Spielberg made that had nothing to do with the logic of the movie, but just visually he liked it. And I find it fascinating that in this version of War of the <coughs> Worlds, he took that idea and multiplied it by 10,000 and had all of these alien massive structures coming out of the earth. 
instead mm -hmm. of coming down from the stars, like in the book, they all come up out of the ground as if they've been implanted there, you know, like a million years ago or something. Yeah. I found that fascinating. The other thing is his first uh, big theatrical release film was the Sugarland Express. Mm -hmm. And in the Sugarland Express, there's a scene, a car chase scene, or a scene that takes place in the car where he does some interesting things with the camera, kind of some swooping perspective stuff from inside the camera or from, from inside the car. But he was so limited. I mean, he was still a young filmmaker and he was so limited with the technology he was using. He couldn't go very far with it. Yeah. It's mostly just a camera on a swivel inside the car. Mm -hmm. In this movie, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is trying to escape the destruction of the city and he's in a car and the camera is in the car, it's out of the car, it's swooping around the car. And I, I honestly think that it was the same. If he had had the technology to do this back in the Sugarland Express days, he would have done it, but he couldn't. And so yeah. it was like it was like something he did before that he liked, that he that technology allowed him to do in a much bigger, more elaborate way in this later film. And I find that often when I watch Spielberg's post 2000 films, you often see things that he did in early films, but they are done much bigger, much more elaborately, much more technologically. And this is one example of that. So I found that interesting. And that sequence looks like it's one take. It probably wasn't, but I'm sure. Yeah. Sure and, and we're in the, like the same decade with children of men where they started to lead into where we are now with a movie like 1917 where most of the movie mm -hmm. looks like it's done in one take so that right I, I i like that sequence too i noticed that one for sure I, I think maybe some of the problems might be with the screenplay but i also think visually yeah. like again maybe it's not nice to pick on the child version of dakota fanning but dakota fanning was good in other stuff like really really good you. in some other stuff i, 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 don't I, I agree with dakota you fanning's I, good here. I didn't like the kids in this in this movie no the kids were weren't, weren't great i, I forget the, the son the son's gone on to to do some stuff too i, I recognized his face yeah, i can't remember his name one of the things that bugged me about the kids in this movie is the kids just know too much yes. they're, they're just they're too confident they have this old soul thing happening both of them mm -hmm. do the scene where the young boy wants to see the big fight on the other side of the hill that the viewer this is one of my pet peeves about this movie the mm -hmm. climactic battle scene of the movie and we're not allowed to see it we have to watch from 50 right. yards behind the front line. <laughs> That's right. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I get I get that it was like an artistic choice, that it's all left mm -hmm. up to the imagination. But show us the scene. We want to see the tanks. We want to see the tanks shooting at the robots. Come on, you guys. The scene where the boy wants to get up and see what's on the other side of the hill. And Tom Cruise won't let him. They're arguing. And when you watch the argument, it's the boy who is the adult. And Tom Cruise's character is the child. And and the boy is like, you have to let me go. Like He actually says it in that tone of voice. Yeah. You're a kid and you're making a dumb choice to walk into mm -hmm. the line of fire. And your dad is trying to rescue you. All through the movie, Dakota Fanna was, decoding Fanna has that same kind of old soul she knows mm -hmm. a bit too much. She's mature beyond her years kind of thing going on. And I'm like, hey, I get it. Spielberg loves children. He doesn't want to you know, be two-dimensional in his depiction of children. But he's gone too far the other way. These kids, yeah. in, a, in a movie like this, you got to see kids doing stupid shit and owning their mm -hmm. stupidity. <laughs> and yes. just being, yeah. you know, being stupid kids a little bit. I, I feel like it's Spielberg because he... He would often talk about he was the, the child of divorce and he was kind of lonely and he, he just mm. sort of created his own people and that led to him becoming a filmmaker. And I think 
that's kind of him still trying to be connected to the child and the mm. children are smarter than they're given credit for, but they're given like way too much credit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they were really, the other piece he, he may have been quite drawn to was making this a post nine 11 allegory. Like, is this a terrorist attack because it's happening in the New York region and New Jersey mm. And he filmed shots, which look very much like the ones from Ground Zero. Yeah, and almost. I, I found that frustrating. I, I yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I, I, didn't like that. But that maybe is why he picked it. David Coop uh, or Cope. He also wrote Jurassic Park, and he's mm. he's he's quite. A, I like him as a filmmaker. I've been talking um, on on Larry Show. I re- reviewed Secret Window. He did this movie in the 90s called Stir of Echoes, which I would argue is a better ghost movie, but it came out the same year as The Sixth Sense. He, he's one of the co-screenwriters here. I, I kind of expect better from him. And I, I, I that's the only thing I can think of that they wanted to do is let's update the story and put it in that context. But they, they kind of talk, took the, the heart and soul out or the ma- magic out of this this particular story with it being so loud and so special effects heavy. And, and I think I was pretty hard on Tom Cruise initially. Cruise is fine. He's not. I think he's, he's actually not, not too bad in this movie. I, I, he, I actually done the second time I watched it, like watching watching in preparation for this thing, I was like, you know, it's Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise. But it's one of the better versions of that. You know, he's because he's done a lot of movies where he plays essentially the same guy. Mm-hmm. And as far as that goes, this is a good version of him doing that. I, and I'm kind of a Tom Cruise defender sometimes. And this was not one of those times. And <laughs> but again, I, I had sky high expectations and I think I should. A major summer release with arguably the greatest filmmaker living. I actually think that should go to Martin Scorsese personally, but that's, you know, but a lot of people think it's Spielberg. That's fine. And at the time, a movie star, he might have started to go into his Scientology meltdown when the release of this film happened, but he was still somewhat bankable. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to see him as kind of uh, his career has gone back on track, mostly with action movies. Mm -hmm. I I kind of miss Which is crazy because he's like 60 years old. Yeah, I know. But all the others, like the people of the proper age, are stuck in. They're in Marvel movies or DC movies now. So, so it's the sixty and seventy yeah. year olds that are having to do the action rules. But yeah, I, I, I'd kind of like to see the the born on the Fourth of July Tom Cruise come back at some point. Yeah. But um, yeah, so or the Tropic yeah. Tropic Thunder Tom Cruise. Yes, and may people talk about that one too. Uh, someday I want to talk about that movie for sure. So. Yeah, I think we're both kind of in the thumbs down range with this one still, but maybe it isn't yeah. one of a the gentle, ten worst A gentle movies. thumbs down. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Talk to me, Hudson. 
I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Get them out of there! episode I, I mentioned that i'm a fan of the year 1979 because that was uh the year i was born and there were some pretty good movies that came out that year I very good movie. recently reviewed manhattan i i love apocalypse now which uh, yeah. i think should have won best picture that year and probably my favorite sci-fi based horror movie alien came out yeah. and so it was big shoes for james cameron seven years after this release 1986 very big shoes Be- choose for the sequel to alien aliens mm-hmm. and so i think those are the two class acts in the alien franchise i still Definitely. love watching alien movies i don't hate three as much as everybody does and that kind of thing i'll keep watching them they keep producing them i'll keep watching them but mm-hmm. th- there's often that that decision you have to make in life do you like alien or aliens better and this is where i kind of go back to do i want my sci-fi kind of cold and idea-based or do I want it very actiony? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I see Alien as more, a more successful horror movie, despite that there's very horrifying things that happen in Aliens. But I yeah. think Aliens and the nature of James Cameron as a director, it is more of an action sci-fi as opposed to a sci-fi horror or horror sci-fi <clears> that <throat> really stopped alien was mm-hmm. so cards on the table i like alien more than i like aliens okay that's fair my, my friends and i when we were at like 12 or 13 or whatever like that age we had a sleepover where we watched uh at that time there were only three alien movies and we watched them all in one night mm-hmm. and for some reason it, just in the middle part i was getting some fatigue or a headache or something from aliens so i i my first time with experience with aliens was not very positive i actually liked alien and alien 3 if you can imagine more than aliens wow then i revisited it again and i was like oh yeah i I mean i'd probably be too hard on it but i'm what is the big deal why is everybody so in love with this so i came into this thinking okay this time this has got to be the time i'm going to be reviewing it for the show i know people swear by aliens i I need to have a positive experience with this movie and i'm happy to say (laughs) that yeah at 40 years old I was able to have my first pause track at you know this this theory that your judgment when you first see a movie should be the the only judgment just like we said with War of the Worlds softening yeah. on it a little bit I'm happy to say I, I I really enjoyed Aliens but I'm not sure that it's perfect all right there may be a couple things sure. i have to say that i i have some criticisms of and feel free to argue with me and yeah. tell me i don't know what i'm talking about with that but my, this is my first question before i get into plot and just in case you haven't seen people haven't seen aliens or or alien 
Which do you prefer, Alien or Aliens? I, I It's like choosing between my children. I think they are <laughs> two of the greatest science fiction movies ever made. For me, both of those movies are in the top five all-time science fiction movies ever mm -hmm. made. And yeah. you can't have you can't have Aliens without Alien. So if I absolutely had to choose, I might I might lean a little bit towards the original Alien, but it would be like honestly, it would be like a forty nine fifty one split. Yeah, like it would yeah, just be barely. I have definitely watched <laughs> Aliens more often. I mean, I've seen them both. I, I'm sure I've seen Alien at least four or five times. Mm -hmm. And Aliens, the second one, I've probably seen it ten times. I, I and love and I'm, it. And I'm the opposite. I'll I'll revisit Alien a lot. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to get myself sort of ready for Aliens. For the record, I watched the director's cut for mm. preparation for this, which is a bit longer, but it's yeah. it's the version that the James Cameron says that he, he he likes a bit better. And there's some horrifying stuff in in there. Yeah. So Ellen Rip Ripley played by Sigourney Weaver in probably the role that she'll be remembered for. And she's the the lone human survivor. Her and her cat survived the first movie. And she's rescued by a deep salvage team after being in hypersleep for 57 years. She doesn't realize it. And then she realizes she's lost 57 years. I forget if this is in the theatrical cut as well as the director's cut. There's a scene where she discovers that she's outlived her daughter. Which That's is just only in the director's. Only, only the director's, director's cut. That's what I thought. And I understand why Cameron maybe wanted it in the theatrical oh, cut. Oh, it's, it's so important to the plot. What I don't a, understand why they took it out. A horrifying moment. Yeah. And it and it shows how great an actor Sigourney Weaver is in there. I mean, the theatrical cut shows that for sure too. Mm -hmm. But it also motivates a lot of what happens later on um, once with, we start getting Newt. into with, with the Newt, little young the, girl character, yeah. <clears throat> the surrogate daughter that that she ends up having. Anyway, the, the moon that the uh, Nostromo uh, visited has been colonized, but contact has been lost. And this time, uh, colonial marines have these impressive firepower, but will that be enough is the uh, mm -hmm. inter Internet Movie Database uh, handle mm -hmm. on it. And it's just one of those things, and it seems like a repeat thing in the sequels to Alien that nobody listens to Rip. Ripley has lived through this and is telling everybody that, you know, it, it is a dangerous place and then discovers that they decided to colonize that planet and they think she's you know just uh, imagine some of this or yeah. or what they really dismiss her i think there's a bit of a feminist agenda like cameron's another control freak i don't think he's the most pleasant person on a, a movie yeah. set uh yeah. he's very demanding uh what's interesting though about the screenplays that he writes getting to the good angle of the screenplays he does write some pretty strong roles for women we, we yeah. see that with i mean he, he has created two of the the best sequels of all time with aliens and then terminator 2 yeah with uh with for for linda hamilton and in, and in, arguably in the greatest too. arguably the greatest female action heroes of all time yes yeah th i mean those two are, yeah. are amazing so i appreciate that and and so then i think that's what he's kind of setting up there early on is because she is a woman all of these men do not listen to her and don't take her seriously the marines don't take her seriously when they paul riser plays this this character who convinces ripley to go along on the planet to sort of see see what's happening and mm -hmm. uh and Rip ripley ripley agrees but is dealing with these adolescent marines even though there are some women who are are there but and when when everybody realizes that she's right it's too late they're brutally being killed where i suppose i have a little bit of trouble is the two-dimensional nature of 
some of these marine characters that we end up spending quite a lot of time with. I feel awful. I really do like B- Bill Paxton. All right, mm-hmm. I, he made this movie called Frailty that I'm a big, big fan of, and I think he he, he developed into a very good actor. I think, and he he loved working with James Cameron. He worked with him a lot, and several I'm, I'm times. Really, yeah. I'm really sad that he he died so early here, mm-hmm. but I don't think he was given that much to do. Like he's a really really annoying character. Mm-hmm. It's kind of loud and two-dimensional, and when he finally gets what he gets, I I don't really feel that bad. And he's probably just because he's Bill Paxton. I like him even more than some of the other characters. So mm-hmm. when all these Marines start dying off, I I, I really don't care. I care mm-hmm. about Ripley, and they discover this this poor this poor little girl. Her entire family has been killed by the aliens named Newt and Newt knows exactly what's happening has, has lived through it just like Ripley and Ripley takes Newt on and is very protective and they you know they develop this bond but like they're they're really the two that know what the aliens are capable of and, <clears throat> and nobody right. else will listen to it so I, I like that relationship controversially I'm not sure that the the child actor is anything special there's oh, sometimes she's good sometimes the, the line delivery is tough and I mean you can't fault a child I mean I, I was sure you can on, sure you well, can she's I was getting paid on, I was hard on Dakota Fanning because Dakota Fanning yeah. I knew could do better I, I, yeah, I this, don't know if this this little girl could there do are better a than, lot of a lot of times in this movie where her delivery is flat very yeah. very monotone and flat and and that's one of the one of the few problems I have with this movie yeah. as well yeah but the scares are there. The special effects are absolutely amazing. The sound design is top notch. A terrific score. Score. Yeah. So I, I think there's there, there's a lot more to like than dislike. You mentioned that yeah. great scene with the with the machinery and and this kind of this one mother against the alien yeah. queen. It's like two two women who are going to battle in the climax of this film, mm-hmm. and it is it is amazing. And it's built up. They have this great scene where Ripley says, "Like I can actually work this machine. You know, yeah. Like I can be useful here. You assume I can't it's, do anything because I'm a it's woman. amazing." how it when it, the first time you see that movie that scene is so unexpected when she mm-hmm. comes through those bay doors wearing yeah. that giant contraption it's completely unexpected and yet in that yet you're like of course this is how it has to be it's epic and, every and, time it happens it's, it's amazing it's no a cheer moment it. yeah yeah it's, it's awesome um, I, I want to say a couple things about this movie sure. in defense of this movie. The, the number one thing I appreciate the most about this movie, it is a lesson in filmmaking about sequels. Because if you think about the great sequels in history, the truly great sequels in history, whether that's Godfather 2, whether that's, uh, I think this is one of those, mm-hmm. um, whether it's Empire Strikes Back, yes. whether it's uh, any of the sequels that are Terminator considered. 2. Terminator 2, same thing. I would even put Rocky 2 in that category. I think Rocky 2 is a much overlooked movie. The the thing about really great sequels is they take great, great care in respecting the work of the original movie and continuing the ideas of the original movie mm-hmm. and the characters of the original movie. Great sequels always do that. Bad sequels tend to do the exact opposite. Bad sequels tend to happen when a new director comes along and says, I'm going to throw out everything from the movie that came before and put my own stamp on this and start over. 
when it when a director does that that arrogance almost invariably kills a movie and one of the things i like about aliens is james cameron took the former approach he he had so much knowledge of that first movie when he wrote this script yeah. even to the point where deleted scenes from the original movie are used as a basis for scenes in the sequel including the cocoon scene yeah. you know the the That's scene right. in uh in the original alien that would never made it in the movie where they find the captain all kind of gummed up in that cocoon but so james cameron took that deleted scene from the first movie made his own version of it actually used the same lines and and made it a pivotal moment in the second movie that kill me kill me that uh tom scarrett says in the deleted yes. scene in the first movie that becomes the line that the woman says in uh james cameron's version so yes. he knew that first movie backwards and forwards including the deleted scenes he he understood the technology of the first movie he understood i mean he had such a thorough working knowledge of that first movie and he respected all of it and he used all of it in the creation of his sequel and the great sequels that is a thread that ties the great sequels of history together is that kind of profound respect but the mm -hmm. crazy thing usually the great sequels are directed by the same person who directed the first movie mm -hmm. like godfather 2 or terminator 2 right yes this is one of the rare occasions in cinematic history where a sequel that is arguably as good as the original was actually directed by a different person that yeah. almost never happens and um and that says a lot for james cameron i think and and yeah. even a man who has had as much success as he has had he granted he hadn't had that much success yet when he made this movie but he had mm -hmm. had he had made the first terminator he did mm -hmm. have some leeway for him to demonstrate that much respect for ridley scott and to really take pains to stay within the confines of ridley scott's vision and his world that he created and not break the rules of ridley scott's world i would argue that future movies in the aliens franchise took great liberties in breaking the rules you know R ridley yeah, scott I, ridley scott yeah. laid down what the rules of this universe are james cameron helped us better understand those rules they had such a solid thing going and then future movies in the franchise just threw those rules out the window and, the, and now the scott's taken the franchise back in some ways with yeah he has and but even yeah, he's now and, not and played by his own rules in some ways but anyway uh, so i think i think aliens is a lesson in good sequel making mm -hmm. for that reason <laughs> I, I i do disagree with you about uh, bill paxton i actually like him in this movie he, he wasn't given you know he wasn't given a meaty role but he does have an arc he starts as a fundamentally self-centered man who mm -hmm. who does not care about anybody but himself and he ends the movie dying to save other people there is a there is an arc to his character and he is mm -hmm. goofy and he is uh what's his famous line from the movie where he's like um game over man you know like and that's such a james cameron like he he gave his his friend bill paxton he often gives him some of the stupid lines i love you, it you, but i'm wincing when i hear that I mean, and this is one of the the i think this is one of the better the the least winceable screenplays he's he's written i mean but but there's just a every once in a while like he loves his 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 catchy one-liner i'll name three movies i'll name sure. three movies for you and you tell me 
what is the difference between Bill Paxton's performance in those three? And they're all loosely related. Sure. The Terminator, Aliens, and I'm not sure if you've seen Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, but those all happened within about what was the, three what years. Was the third one? Near Dark, a vampire movie that Catherine Bigelow, when she was married... I never saw that. To, uh, okay. Yes, the only challenge I would have is, and it's more like an extended cameo in, in The Terminator. If, if you Who see is those, he in The Terminator? He, he's like this punk. This punk that uh, that Schwarzenegger encounters when he first lands in oh, really? Los Angeles, it doesn't work out so well for him. So I knew Lance uh, Henriksen was in the movie, but I didn't know Bill Paxton yeah. was in the movie. Yeah, and so huh. d- just looking at those roles, I mean, you know, they serve their purpose, but I just didn't. I almost saw the same character coming out in each of those. Mm. It's it's fine. I just know from his work later on that he was capable of better. Lance Hendrickson, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's very, very good in here too. You know, spo- spoilers for Alien, but uh, Ripley goes into the movie with a pretty he- heavy distrust of uh, these these androids because... For a very uh, good reason. Yeah, yeah, because it encountered a, a very uh, villainous Ian Holm in the first movie. And so spends most of the movie not trusting, you know, what's behind Lance Hendrickson's character and is this somebody who's been programmed to screw them over and and then we we go in a different direction with that and i think that was a smart move by respecting Mm. the original but but doing something different with the role you mentioned earlier that this is probably the role that sigourney weaver will be remembered for yes this is also the role that lance henriksen is going to be remembered for um possibly yeah yeah and his acting is so good like they had a there's a scene where he's looking through a, a or a microscope at a sample of this little alien creature and mm-hmm. somebody comes in and disturbs him and he just kind of looks up and he's almost like in a trance you know and then he looks back down and they had originally toyed with the idea they had these special contact lenses that had double pupils in them and stuff and the idea was when he's working on this scientific stuff he engages this mechanism in his eye and his pupils split and then when he when he would look up at the guy he would have this double eye eye stuff when they went to shoot the scene his acting was so good that cameron was like we don't need we don't need the prosthetics we don't need the fake eyes we don't need the double pupils him just looking up in that that weird sort of robotic manner is so disconcerting on its own mm-hmm. that we just don't need to dress it up with anything. Um, we just don't know how until late in the film, we don't know where, where he is. He appears to be helpful, but it, it and then what he does towards the end is, is absolutely amazing. And I'll tell you, man, that is hard. Like when you're an actor, it is one of the things that is annoying for me as a as a movie viewer is I can always get a sense of what the actor knows when he's playing a scene. And and I don't know if I'm better at that than other people or if everybody's the same. But often when I'm seeing it, when I'm watching a movie, if an actor is playing that he's the bad guy or that he's the good guy and the reality is that he's the opposite, I can usually tell watching it's this because obvious. I, I can kind of tell what the actor knows as he's delivering his lines. Lance Henriksen is a complete mystery throughout that movie up until the end. You really don't know which way he's going to turn. You, you just don't. You sort of, by the, by the time we get to the scene where he's crawling through the pipe, and mm-hmm. you, you sort of have a sense that, okay, he's probably going to turn out good. And then he's not at the platform and you're like, I was wrong. Yeah. I was wrong. He's evil. Screwed over again. Yeah. You know, yeah. but that's his acting makes that possible yeah. because most actors can't do that. Most actors can't effectively mask 
what they know about the character. It's yeah. very hard to do. The other actor who really stands out in this movie is Jeanette Goldstein, uh, oh, a, white, yeah. a white Jewish lady who plays a very Mexican private Vasquez. And and of course, nowadays you couldn't do that because we're, we're a, a, more racially sensitive when it comes mm-hmm, to casting. Mm-hmm. But it is astounding how good she is. I, I didn't know until years after I watched that movie that the woman playing the character wasn't actually Hispanic. She's yeah. a white, a very white Jewish woman named mm-hmm. Jeanette Goldstein plays that character. And when you when you listen to her in inter- interviews and stuff, she just talks like a very white Caucasian North American. And you would never put those two people together. It, it's, it's a really incredible acting job. It's a total transformation. And it's impressive. And and the movie was up for several Oscar nominations, you know, and again, Sigourney Weaver got a Best Actress nomination for it. And Very rare for a genre movie. For a, a female action yeah. star. Shows the respect they have for her. She's, yeah, it, it, it's something very special. I thought she was quite special in, in Alien. I, mm-hmm. I might argue she's given more to do in Alien. She's more developed by that point. Did... Um, character down did aliens win any oscars for technical like for special effects or anything it won two academy awards oh um, okay it it won for best uh, sound effects editing and and visual effects okay that yeah. makes sense it, it had nominations for actress as i mentioned for weaver art direction set direct decoration which makes perfect sense to me i should have won that just, too yeah just amazing I, I don't know what won that year but it was nominated for uh, sound, which would I guess be sound mixing now, film editing, and the music score. So yeah, yeah all no, well deserved nominations. No, no, no best director nomination, no best picture nomination, but it did quite yeah. well for a genre movie in uh, yeah in, in the mid eighties. So yeah, I, I'm happy to say I, I am a I am a fan, and I'm an enormous fan of this this franchise in general. I will forgive its mm-hmm. missteps as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you can't come up with a better one two punch than Alien and Aliens. Okay, so District 9. How many points did you give District 9? I gave it an 8. Edge of Tomorrow, I gave it a 5. 2001, I gave it a whopping 19 points. Plan okay. 9, I gave it uh-huh. 0. No points whatsoever. Second 0 in the history of this show. Believe oh, really? it or not, you know who... Take a guess who the director of the other zero was. Uh, well, Ed Wood, probably. Alfred Hitchcock. What? Rebecca, Rebecca for my, my, my guest, Tom, gave Rebecca zero points. So this is the second time it's happened. The movie Rebecca? <laughs> the movie Rebecca, yeah, with Laurence Olivier and, yeah. Tom who? Uh, a friend of mine, Tom Ratzlaff, who's a, a, a drama teacher I worked with for several okay. years. Oh, well, he's a yeah, I, I gave a lot more points to it. It actually wasn't the one to leave. Uh, okay. It, I, That's I, an interesting, okay. Anyway, crazy. yeah, War of the Worlds. Uh, you're going to hate me for this. I gave it a nine. One, nine. More, than, okay. one more point than District Nine, well, because I, I enjoyed it way more watching it the second time. 
time. And then Aliens, I gave, I tied it with 2001. I gave it 19 points. I'm really curious to hear how you uh, how you broke yours down. So I I gave uh, District Nine. You gave it eight points, I believe. I gave it nine points. I, oh, really I, close. I, I, still, I still really like it. I recommend it. Again, if you if you're not into gore, you might have some problems with it. But I think it's a, it's a worthwhile film. It just each time I watch it, become less impressed with it. And I think you mm. you came up with some pretty good reasons why that might be the case yeah. for sure. I had it at nine yeah. too before. I switched it to eight. But it kind of yeah. So we we were really close with that one. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow or uh, Live Die Repeat. I, I also gave it five points. Wow. Yeah, exactly the same this time. Yeah, I'm I'm really on the border. I I still kind of recommend it but almost close to a negative review i yeah. i i didn't like the setup and it took me a while before i warmed up to it but i did eventually yeah. warm up to it all right then 2001 a space odyssey i gave 20 points to i i, I have huge respect and yeah. this viewing of it I, I i gained even more respect i mean i'm starting to see like that howard johnson thing i'm starting to see ran random things i hadn't seen before it's very rewatchable if you have the patience to go through it i i, I do warn people about the pace just because yeah. just that's the world we're in now unfortunately yeah. so you gave a 19 so it, it ends up with 39 points in total controversially i gave plan nine from space eight points uh i i get i get a kick out of it and i i i had a much better time with it than you did I, i'm eight so sorry points? eight points i'm so sorry one to less than it. district nine yeah one less than district nine i mean i, I do it's an interesting i don't know but yeah i anyway so it's totally <laughs> okay. eight points. all right all the points that it has is from me oh boy all right okay. then we go into War of the Worlds, and I'm you. You gave it nine points. We are in a different place with this one. I gave it yeah. three points. I okay. still don't like it a lot, but I'm mm -hmm. willing to forgive a couple things. I think back in 05, I was pretty hard on Tom Cruise's performance. It's not that bad. There are some cool shots in here. You mentioned one of them with that that car ride, and mm -hmm. you know, special effects are all right. I think he he the special effects in Minority Report. Some of that he kind of reused and was used better mm -hmm. in Minority. You know, he did three science fiction movies in the early part of the century, and one of them, in my opinion, worked. Minority Report worked. AI was terrible, absolutely terrible. I, I that's one I don't own, and and then this one. So I, I started to get a little bit frustrated with Steven Spielberg for a while. He he's kind of come back, and I mean, he had Munich in there, which is just a um, amazing movie, classic. I, I, you know, that's yeah. so. I mean, there's no doubt he he has the stuff. I think we're Aliens, right? Aliens is yep. the last one, and I gave it 15 points. So not as many as 2001: Space Odyssey, but a, a fair chunk of this. So it gets 34. Yeah. So where this leaves us is, and is probably not. Going to be a huge surprise, but the big winner would be 2001 A Space Odyssey with 39 points, 39. followed by with 34 points then right right there in the middle as i kind of thought it might be is is district nine with 17 where the worlds gets 12 so a respectable uh fourth place showing for it mm -hmm. edge of tomorrow gets 10 points and the movie that has to leave my movie shelf is plan nine from outer uh, space uh, 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 
Good riddance. Yeah. So what All do right. you want me to do with Plan 9 from Outer Space? Because it is sort of a classic in a sense. I don't want to come Part across as bad. callous. <laughs> so I authorize you to try and find somebody who would accept it as a gift. But if you can't find somebody who wants it in one week, you have to uh -huh. burn, burn it on a pyre. You have one week to try and find somebody who would accept it as a gift. And after one week, you have to burn it. It's a one week from when this show airs uh, yes I'll correct do that. yeah all right <laughs> sounds good so thanks for doing this and yeah, i hope we can have you uh do this again and i don't know if you want to do another science fiction or if there's something else that you would a movie you'd like to talk about i know you're a busy busy guy these days and i'm excited that about your acting career and, and thanks and how man i appreciate going. it yeah just uh before i uh i i end the show as as always i i want to do a shout out to larry parsons and his show rank and review very much as he's the reason i'm doing this show he had me on a guest as a guest several times i found i really loved talking about movies in this podcast form and so I decided to, to create this show as a result so mm -hmm. he uh, he has a show every two weeks uh, he, he tends to focus on horror movies a lot you know people out there please share this podcast with uh, anybody you know movie fans that kind of thing hopefully have a website uh, up I talk about this every week but it's we're pretty close to having one and trying to get this show out to a few more people there but uh, mm -hmm. like the Facebook group share this episode please send me feedback I have uh, an email shelf shedding movie show at gmail.com and give me feedback if you hated my review of aliens and or and can't believe that i gave that many points to plan nine from outer space or anything <laughs> like that it's uh we just just love to hear from you on that <laughs> until then please keep going to the movies in whatever form uh, they show up and support tim's movies particularly yeah, agreed